broadcasting live from England, I guess? It doesn't seem to be America. It, it looks a little bit like Germany, but obviously it isn't, because that's where Augustus Gloop is from. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. Uh, and I am Garrett Strother. I didn't do a joke one. That's um, <laughs> okay. And clearly we are doing Augustus Gloop and the Chocolate Factory today for our main segment. The, a movie I would watch. What happens to him after he gets sent through that pipe? <laughs> when does Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory go into the public domain? When can they do like a horror movie style like they did with Winnie the Pooh? That's an interesting question. Because that would be more interesting than a Winnie the Pooh horror movie. I didn't mm -hmm. even look at that. But everybody's already thinking it, you know? Yeah. I'm excited to get into it, but we do have some news up top, starting with the passing of legendary, prolific television creator and writer Norman Lear. I mean, where do you even start with him? All in the family, the Jeffersons, Good Times, I mean, Sanford and on. Son... He, I think he was a producer on Carol Burnett. I might be wrong about that. I feel like you could just throw a dart and say a, a, a show that was on between like 1965 and 1980, and he probably created it. Yeah, I can't tell you how many sick days in grade school watching daytime television that The Jeffersons was the best thing I had. I was like, I felt like I had discovered what like <laughs> a good sitcom was when i was a kid because i was watching this man's legacy he has received every award that you can imagine receiving i think he's got um, all the he's got all the important television ones i feel like yeah exactly and like just for being a general humorist i believe and he was obviously a kennedy center honoree he has been a big advocate for first amendment rights and he was old. He was he was 101. Yeah, God bless him. He he held on there. He wanted to just dunk on everybody everywhere, I guess. He, I it is it is impressive. He had an indelible impact on the American cultural landscape on television as we know it and Someday we should maybe do a pop culture reference that's about Norman Lear, but it'll be the whole episode because that's how much there is to yeah. get into. And continuing on with the passing of media legends, Ryan O'Neill, best known for his roles as Barry Lyndon, and then also in the Peter Bogdanovich films, Paper Moon and What's Up Doc, and of course, his most iconic role, Bones' dad on the hit Fox crime <laughs> procedural, Bones. Bones, of course. Has passed away. He was kind of a bad dude. Ryan O'Neill did not treat his what? children well. Oh, no. Um, but, I mean, really a tremendous actor and gave some of the great performances in some of the great films of the 20th century. I mean, What's Up, Doc is a masterpiece. Maybe legitimately one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Paper Moon, which he famously starred with his daughter Tatum in, is also amazing. Barry Lyndon is one of Kubrick's best and most overlooked, and all of them would be for the worse without Ryan O'Neill's lead performance, and it sucks that he was such a, like, complicated, kind of scummy guy. Yeah, that is that is a damn shame. It always is when there are just things that are damn good all around from everybody who put effort in, but there's a little bit of a shadow over it. I... I it's hard to, to not think about that, but man, there are some great movies in this lineup that he left behind. 
Coppola's statement was very interesting because famous, and I don't, I won't get into the, all the details here because this isn't that kind of podcast. But basically, the O'Neills and the Coppolas have a tragic shared history that is very also complicated <laughs> dude what the, whatever the hell that means i'm sure i will find out one day good lord what you just <laughs> did somebody walk into your room holding a gun when you were just saying that <laughs> you, you sound so scared not, i know it's not worth so... getting it's, it's not for us to get into i don't think but the fact that francis ford coppola was like yo ryan o'neill uh, good actor. He has something like <laughs> our families are united by tragedy, which is another kind of love oh or something like that. What an intense thing. My God. Okay. All right. Ryan O'Neill, intense person. And coming up next, Netflix Productions accountants unionize with Yahtzee. Just more and more streaming pushes left and right from teams that are trying to follow in the footsteps of success that we've seen that these corporations are, are starting to buckle under a little more as, as these workers who run the entire entertainment world at this point. I mean, streaming is the only thing that is dominating that kind of media landscape. So I, it's good to see more people trying to get what's theirs. And I also think it's important for us to cover as the labor movement expands, not just from what you would think of as typical on-set production workers or or animators or something mm -hmm. like that, but two folks who are equally important to the process of, of film and television getting made who are less thought about, like production accountants. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm hoping that the, the wave is not done yet. I, I think the more uh, collective bargaining for units like this that can get through in this time right now, I think the better we're going to be set up in the future when this inevitably they, you know, big production companies try to renegotiate back to where they're more comfortable making the absolute most money ever always so i i think getting in now is the best best choice uh, i mean especially in the midst of what i would say is the streaming bubble burst it's mm -hmm. important for the folks who work for those organizations to be protected absolutely agree absolutely agree but now we're going to talk about something that I've truly been thinking about since maybe high school, whenever that other one came out. The Furiosa Mad Max prequel trailer finally dropped, giving us a little taste of what we can expect in, fi again, finally going back to the Mad Max verse. It'll have been close to 10 years since Fury Road when this finally comes out, and... Fury, I mean, that was an incredibly important film to me. It's still an incredibly important film to me, Fury Road. I saw it. It was the first movie, R-rated movie, I saw alone after I turned 17. So That's a good one. That's a great one to, to start off with, I think. And it was a total alteration of the way that I saw action films and, like, movie making. And it's it still... I think one of the most impressive films I've ever seen, one of the best films of the century thus far. And I am very excited for Miller to return to that space. I did like 3,000 Years of Longing, of course, but Mad Max, you know, I'm ready for Mad Max. Mad Max is home, you know? We can always go back. It, it, it's, the, it's the crazy, over-the-top blind double guitarist apocalypse that we want to to have 
crazy adventures in. And this, I mean, Furiosa was such an awesome addition to this really horrible, wacky, dark universe. I, I think this is going to be a really cool way to see that character evolve. The robot, the robot prosthetic truck driving arm is going to be, you know, that's the real origin that I'm looking forward to, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, seeing her build it and then... Yeah, dude. Uh, that that big clunky mechanical thing was one of my favorite character design things of Fury Road, and I I cannot wait to see more of it in this. I think that this looks like a pretty effortless expansion on the world of Fury Road. It looks like we're going to the Bullet Farm. It looks like we're going to Gas Town. Yeah, Gas Town. See from afar, of course, in Fury Road, and as seamless and interesting and and fully fleshed out the world of fury road feels when you're watching it i do think it will be exciting to see even more of the details i'll be curious to see more in morton joe i i'm very interested in whatever's going on with hemsworth i know uh, george miller did say something like max is gonna be creeping around somewhere in this movie like i don't know if that means literally or like they're gonna be like oh we heard about this crazy son of a gun who's got this insane car somewhere in the wasteland and we'll get a little a nod or something but i i hope it's not like a like a nick fury he walks up clapping at the end or something there's a guy playing hook out in the out in the desert somewhere. <laughs> Tina oh, Turner. I, he's hanging out with Tina Turner. I don't know why I'm only dude. doing Thunderdome. Because that's maybe one of the best. No, no, no it's okay. not. It's maybe it's actually the worst, the worst one you will find. But... Uh, is, isn't that great, though? Because that one's still so good to watch for an hour. And then that's And then it. it becomes Hook, and then you turn it off. <laughs> oh, dude. I'm hoping we get to see... There, there, was, there was a flash of Thunderdome in this trailer, right? There was like a fighting arena... Oh, I don't know. I didn't catch... Was there? I, I only saw it the one time, and I've been seeing snippets of it ever since it came out, but I, I, I don't want to know too much. I just know that it, it looks good. The cars look a little a little rubbery. I want those big, clunky cars again, but I, I'm giving it some time. It's the well, first trailer. that's the thing, is... Well, one, I remember... I, I was in the trenches, Seamus. I remember <laughs> when the first trailer... And production stills came out for Fury Road, and people were like, this doesn't look good, and obviously that's one of the best-looking movies of... It's so good. Ever. Oh, so like, good. And that's why I'm I'm kind of restraining that, that thought. I think a lot of people have this collective amnesia about, because so much of Fury Road was done practically, that they forget how pronounced and stylized a lot of the effects work is in that movie. I mean, you think about them going into the big storm or even the way that uh, cars collapse onto each other and things like uh, CG objects fly into the camera. And yeah, I, I very, I very specifically, even in like the moments of like Nicholas Holt's characters finale there, I, I definitely remember it getting a little more noticeable as well. Even bigger moments like that. And I think that that's part of, like, the way that Miller likes his films to look. So I think that, one, the movie is far from coming out, but two, this is all out of context, right? And I think it's a solid trailer regardless. It got me very excited for what this is going to do. I think it's a little weird how little of Anya Taylor-Joy acting (laughs) we got to see. Yeah, isn't that something? But... I think there's probably two two causes for that. One, I do wonder how much Furiosa will actually talk in the movie. But two, I think that probably 
Furiosa being a woman and being silenced and being less able to express herself as part of her rise to being an imperator is probably going to be part of the movie and probably that's reflected oh, yeah. in the trailer as well. Very much so. I think I think we can expect that for sure. This has been in the works for so long, like we've been saying. Or at least it's been an idea for so long that they have been saying. But now I'm as imp- impatient as ever. I, I wanna I think we should watch a couple Mad Maxes, my friend. I haven't I haven't watched the older ones in a minute and that there's that's I'm, that's your mini marathon right there, Seamus. Yeah, four, four movies? That's nothing. And the black and chrome cut for some reason, if we want to do yeah, that. Yeah, throw it ourselves. in there. Like Abed Nadir, we do the the cool, the cool commentary cool down, and then we go back to the black and chrome. <laughs> you know, honestly, not a bad idea to do all <laughs> That's three a fun versions marathon. of Fury Road. All right, well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. We've just, we've just discovered it. Well, I'm excited about Furiosa. I am excited to cover... All of the Mad Maxes for the show when yes, oh yes, that's coming out, and I'm also excited to talk about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, another deranged lunatic with Dude. fun, strange vehicles. <laughs> oh, let us get into it, please. For today's main segment, we are going to be talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in preparation for the upcoming. Timothy Chalamet's Wonka. So, Seamus, I'm assuming this is a childhood favorite of yours, as it is of mine, but, but you know, let's start out with what our experiences and thoughts are with Willy Wonka. I don't know if I would call it a childhood favorite. It was definitely part of my childhood viewing of, of movies, and rewatching it for this because i i definitely saw it many times as my parents understood what a good movie was and i didn't when i was a boy because it bored me a lot garrett you know there's so much build up before we get into the chocolate factory and there's so much charlie's so sad dude i was not i didn't like it for the same reason i didn't like charlie brown it was just a bummer to me basically so for a long time, I was just like, yeah, I saw the Johnny Depp one a couple of years ago or whatever. I'm fine. I get it. I get the deal. I, I've seen the old one enough times as a kid to not need to go back to it. But I'm floored, dude. I had such a good time revisiting this. I finally get it. It's, it's weird to finally get Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory <laughs> at 25 years old. But I'm there finally. And it, I'm very excited to... To finally share some fresh, the the most fresh thoughts from a movie from 1971 anyone's ever had. I'm, but, uh, I'm what, what about you, man? That you uh, are having Dude. this reaction. That's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's maybe the craziest viewing of a movie I've seen like a dozen times I've ever had. I'm very excited. <laughs> this was a childhood favorite. I will de- I will definitively say that I loved it. But like you, I was mostly interested in you know, the Gene Wilder mm. aspects of it. Cheer Up Charlie, most skipped song in cinema Dude, history. that unlocked the childhood <laughs> memory of, like, boring. Like, I'm gonna go get popcorn <laughs> or something. Get me out of this room. Uh, Cheer Up Charlie. And it's it's not even so much that the song is bad as much as it is <laughs> you're in this midst of a 30-minute, rollicking, hilarious farce of everybody trying to get their Wonka bars, and then the movie just screeches to a halt oh, for a four-minute ballad about 
the plight of Charlie Bucket. We already know that he's a sad kid. Like, we get it. Like, he's not gonna cheer up. Her her whole advice is like, well, maybe you're meant to be sad, Charlie. And then she does a song about it. It's so sad. I didn't really rediscover the brilliance of this movie until I was in high school, realizing that in addition to Gene Wilder being amazing and mm. off-putting <laughs> and so deranged in a wonderful way that the first 30 minutes of the film before he shows up are also brilliant and hilarious and some of the best satirization of consumerism to come out of that era of mainstream media. It's so funny. Every single little vignette is brilliant, I think, and adds to this fascinating tableau that the world outside of the chocolate factory is heightened but it's not magical the way the inside the chocolate Mm -hmm. factory is yeah that was for sure a blocked memory i was probably also pretty bored as a kid with all of the little scenes i'm like where's charlie being sad where is this chocolate factory i hear so much about i'm not into these random ass adults who are talking about money or whatever and I now, again, it's so funny, dude. True laugh-out-loud moments that I never even gave a second thought about. I think this is, like, a weird place to call it. I think just blanket spoilers so we don't have to guard ourselves. <laughs> You've seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. If you haven't, go watch it. But because I want to ask you what your favorites of these vignettes were. And obviously, if you've not seen this movie, you deserve to... to, to experience the jokes at face value and not regurgitated by us yes please it's it's worth it truly top of the pops is the ai computer that's like not into the idea it's like i'm a computer what am i what am i gonna do with a lifetime supply of chocolate and then the response of i'm now telling the computer exactly what it can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate cut away Funniest joke in the first 30 minutes. It's I so love good. it so much. I also love the two buttons that do everything <laughs> on that computer. Yeah, dude. It was a big early 70s AI computer. That's like a whole that's a whole movie that could be produced about an AI who needs to figure out what he can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. Well, that is the true monkey's paw of this first 30 minutes is I would watch an expanded version of almost every one of these scenes, but yeah, dude. because they're so short is what makes them so special. Yeah, it's just like one after another, You before you can even realize what's going on, you get hit with another really funny bit about like stealing, smuggling chocolate crates in, <laughs> over the borders and selling them at auctions for insane prices. I also, this is one that comes back multiple times, obviously, because it is part of the main storyline. I think Mr. Turpentine, Charlie's teacher, is hysterical. <laughs> Dude, that guy is so, so funny. He's somebody who I always, like, I always thought he was funny, even as a kid. I didn't really know why he was funny. I think his delivery is just inherently amusing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. even if a lot of the jokes were going over my head. I mean, he's a bad teacher, right? Am I crazy? <laughs> no, was I just like teacher. not noticing? He he was just like such a such a genuinely crappy teacher. He's so belligerent with his students, and he's not really like. How are you teaching percentages? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, that, he was teaching percentages out of a thousand, and he was like, "I can't do." whatever he was so mean i'm gonna bully the poor kid in my class and i am the teacher who's teaching poorly it's so Uh, it's so so ridiculous 
a couple of other things from that prologue that I want to... Because once we get into the Chocolate Factor, I feel like we're not leaving. Once we get to the Chocolate Factor, we're locked in, just like everybody who ever goes in that factory. A couple of really small beats when we're first introduced to the kids who aren't Charlie on the newscasts. One of them, which I'd never noticed before, is when we first get to Dusselheim... And the newscaster has the antlers coming out of his head behind him. Like, there's antlers on the wall, and they're perfectly centered behind him so that he's got two antlers coming out of his head. I think that's a really stupid, like, it's not even really a joke. It's just a funny visual. It's just a funny thing that they did to that man. And then Slugworth with the microphone on Mike TV, the way he whips it around... Yeah, dude. Dude, I need to I need to highlight my boy Slugworth real quick. He was so much funnier than I remembered. I I didn't remember that he does the whole thing to every kid mm-hmm. and all that. I thought I thought he just like shows up in being the scary creep guy and does the Charlie, but it is so funny the way he is just everywhere. We need the Slugworth show about like what the, what does that guy do well, at the other time? Good news for you. Slugworth is, I believe, the main antagonist of the new Wonka movie. You're so. kidding me. Oh well, my uh, but god. But this guy's not, because we're in spoilers, as right, you know, that's course. not really Slugworth. That's not really that. Slugworth. So do you want, the, you want the show that's the guy that's pretending to be Slugworth? Yeah, I, like, I, I want do? A- Agent Slugworth, you know? <laughs> like, Willie's the number two human guy that helps him run everything else. Well, he's that the only human that works for Willy Wonka, apparently. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that. The implications of that are huge because he's like he fired everybody, he locked the doors, only Oompa Loompas in and out, no whatever, no humans. But he's just like he's there. He's part of the system. Is he an Oompa Loompa in a big suit? Three Oompa Loompas <laughs> in a trench coat with a scar on their face. Uh, maybe it is the new 4K Blu-ray that I had never watched before until I watched it for the show. That scar is so much more pronounced than it's I remember It's crazy. It being. He got stabbed in the face by a murderer at some point in his life. There's no way that's that's like a, a fake Slugworth thing. Willy Wonka just hired a menacing looking guy with a giant scar. The last thing I want to talk about that's outside the factory is the whole candy shop situation is one just what great production design what oh great yeah. art direction which we'll come back to later on all of the candy bars i want to eat every single like not just the wonkas Dude, like the slug words look great the scrum diddly umptious bar get <sighs> get me into one of those <laughs> i've always it's rubbed up against me that like why does the candy shop itself feel so drab like brown is such an interesting color when you think of a candy shop i think you think of like these pastels and pinks and Mm. whites and having it be so drab and dreary one does keep the world outside the chocolate factory feeling less magical but it also like again maybe it's the new 4k (laughs) that i was watching (laughs) that brown is such a rich brown it's like evoking chocolate while still feeling grounded i think that was actually a, a really great choice that as a kid, I never understood, but now I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand. Harvard that Golf. that's genius. Yeah, I definitely. I would not have. I would not have put that together. I would love to see that. 
makes me want to see this on film and see what that would look like projected on film i feel like that'd be fantastic they often do it at easter at the music box actually on on 35 so i've never gone to that an easter movie i guess no but it's like chocolate you know it's he talks about the he talks about easter he's in charge of the eggs and stuff oh the the fact that the geese don't know that easter's passed and don't tell them because they're still (laughs) that is such a good joke that is so funny uh, the rules of all right, we are we we gotta are we are we entering the factory? I feel like I guess yeah, I think we are. Let's go to the factory. The rules in the factory are insane. It's in another dimension. Is it a TARDIS deal? <laughs> what, how is that room in that? Like the factory doesn't look as big on the outside as I remembered as a kid. Are you talking about the shrinking room? Or are you talking about the room where the, the door changes? Oh, yeah, dude. Okay, so, yeah, the door changes into the candy room, into the tunnel of doom, into, <laughs> a like, a snap into the end of the tunnel. It's He is magic? He is magic. He's certainly... If he's not magic, he's the greatest inventor of all time and only uses it for chocolate, which is his special interest, apparently. I guess that's... Uh, kind of the best i don't know it's so it's so chaotic i love it so much the the shrinking hallway turned back around it's the same door they entered to get that leads to the shrinking hallway which leads to the chocolate room chocolate room i mean that chocolate room that was when the movie started for me growing up is when they finally get to the damn chocolate room i mean pure imagination it's such a great one-two punch of that set is amazing looking. So good. And it's such a well-executed moment, but then layering that on top of one of the best movie songs ever. It's incredible. That song gets stuck in my head for weeks after I, I watch this movie. It's it's such a pleasant... It's like cinema itself is pure imagination it really is wilder's performance is immaculate that he never lets you see all his cards even at the very end when every facade should be dropped there is still something wild and hidden in his eyes is it sinister is it wondrous is it magical is it all of the above the way that he sings pure imagination where it is a big sweeping Hollywood musical number, except it's a little creepy. <laughs> it's always just a bit. There's a little teaspoon of creepy in every single thing he does. I also think he has an interesting, which is why it's so interesting to make a Wonka prequel, I think. He has this fascinating, like, ageless quality, which is another reason that Gene Wilder was such good casting, I think, on top of his acting ability, mm. that... It's very unclear, like, especially in the movie, I think it's very unclear how old the Wonka factory is and, like, how long Wonka's been doing everything and that he presumably looks pretty similar to the way he did when they closed up the factory. Willy Wonka is either, like, 35 or, like, 50. And that there's... Like... That's what I... That's another thing. As a, as a kid, you don't really pick up on, or at least I didn't pick up on as much, but this time I was like... He's world famous, and all the old people are like, back in the day, the Wonka factory and all that stuff, but then it, it, it seems like it's like a hundred, like a 200-year-old chocolate legacy, but he looks like that, and he seems to just be the guy that's been there since Jump. That adds to the creepiness a lot, I feel like, and unless Timmy Chalamet kind of punches it harder with the creepy factor, he's going to be too whimsical. I think you need the mix. 
I'm very curious to see, and I don't want to get it too much into the Timmy Chalamet of it all, because that will be next week. But I'm very curious to see how much is it just trying to be like a fun, whimsical, like, you know, from the director of Paddington movie. Of course. And how much is it trying to declare itself like the heir to the legacy of specifically this version of Willy Wonka? Because as we know, they have lifted like the way the Oompa Loompas look, the Oompa Loompa little, the little weird little flute song that he does to summon the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> um I believe pure imagination is going to be in the new movie. So like they they are lifting things explicitly from the movie. It's not like this is a readaptation of the book. This is a prequel to this is a in, true original prequel. In some capacity it's a prequel. I don't know if they're explicitly like this is the exact universe that Gene Wilder is from, but they're using the iconography of this movie and how much iconography it uses is going to be, I think, my kind of catalyst for it. Because I don't necessarily begrudge them not trying to recapture the eeriness of the Gene Wilder performance because it is such an abstract, unknowable, nebulous thing that I think would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to actually recapture. Definitely. I am... With how much is unanswered about Willy Wonka as a person in the original one and not just like a an entity of chaos. I I would love to know if he's got like a Hercule Poirot black and white intro where he like fought in the war <laughs> and he has, he's like kind of damaged on the inside, but he's like, he found his love in chocolate. I think you will find that, the- that is the Johnny Depp version actually. <laughs> oh, his daddy no. didn't love him and he had headgear. Oh yeah. Wait a minute. That, that's like the worst version of that. You know, that's like, yeah. that's the worst maybe ever is that, Willy Wonka's creepy factor comes from his dad was a dentist and hated candy. That's insane. I really, I, there are parts of that movie that I think are really interesting, and but mostly I just hate that movie. I, I will say some things I've rediscovered rewatching the original. Charlie's dad is dead. Yeah. Did I, like, that's not something I remember at all. Well, I, and now I can't remember if he's dead or not in the book, but I feel like, you can't have Charlie's dad be alive or else then being so impoverished becomes like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't, I know that's a very like heteronormative view of like the dad's the breadwinner and his family shouldn't be poor. But like, I feel like that's the way it would come across is if, if his dad were alive in the movie from this time period in, in the 70s. That, that is true. Cause in the, in the Johnny Depp one, it's like he works at the toothpaste factory and he gets like replaced by, an automaton, like Which cap screwing robot. And... One of the better things about that movie. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Way to handle his dad. You already have the Grandpa Joe discourse. <laughs> the <is> discourse. <laughs> the absolute hate for this man. I had to leave. Like, as a joke, I joined the, um, you know, F Grandpa Joe subreddit, and I yeah. had to leave because it was turning into, like, a radical militia against the character from a 1970s movie. Well, my my take on that has always been this. I think it's funny, and I think it is, like, it on paper, yes, that is, like, the correct response. Yeah, yeah, sure. However, I think anybody who genuinely believes that is either media illiterate or delivering a very disingenuous interpretation of the movie, which is that... Of course. Clearly, like, Grandpa Joe, it is the magic of hope it is the magic of something good 
being injected into not only their lives, but specifically the life of his grandson. That yes, he absolutely. is empowered to go with Charlie because Charlie wants to share something magical with him. And anybody who genuinely thinks that Grandpa Joe could have gotten up at any time in the last 20 years is a fool. No, yeah, it's musical rules. It's stage musical rules. We're not going to spend, like, 40 minutes of a movie, like, rehabbing Grandpa Joe's legs. Like, he's just going to get up and go to the damn chocolate factory. It's fine. Uh, it's like, that's just that's how it has to be. And it, yeah. It's never not funny to see all those old people in one bed. Come on, that's a funny <laughs> setup. Of They're all they're all head to toe. It's, it's eating cabbage water. They call it cabbage water, dude, not even soup. It's horrible there. Oh, uh, yeah. All my homies do not want to live at the bucket house. <laughs> Dude, the bucket house is so... Char- Charlie inherits the chocolate factory at the end, and then from the like office window, he demolishes the old bucket house. It is like, my chocolate empire will rise. I will never be Charlie Bucket again. I think there's something also... I know this isn't the, the Johnny Depp. Is it Tim Burton? That is Tim Burton, right? The yeah. Dude. Oh, yeah. Tim Burton's Johnny um, Depp's Willy Wonka's and the chocolate... No, Charlie, Charlie and the, and the chocolate, chocolate factory. factory. One of the other things I like about the movie is I find it very charming that they move the house into the chocolate factory, actually. And they're doing the whole powdered sugar snow thing, because mm-hmm. that's like, you know, I, I like that, too. I like that, too. Because it, it highlights a message that this movie dances around, but doesn't really fully commit to, which is the most important thing in their lives is each other. And the fact that they're poor doesn't make them fundamentally unhappy, like, Charlie's sad because he's a boy, and the adults are sad because Charlie is a boy, and he's sad. Yeah, exactly. But, like, they all, you know, they all love each other. It's a very clearly loving, healthy family dynamic, and just because you become richer th- th- than your wildest dreams doesn't mean that you need to fully change your lifestyle and the dynamic of your family. And I I really like that about the Johnny Depp one, and I wish that there were a scene like that at the end of this movie where Charlie gets to go back and see his family. I mean, how great is Don't Forget What Happened to the Man Who Got Everything He Ever Wanted, He Lived Happily Ever After. How can you end on a better note than that? I know why, but I do kind of wish we got a little bit more resolution with his mother specifically. She's still singing. She's still making that laundry <laughs> soup at work, and she's still sad about it. Uh, so is Wonka. Wonka's making laundry soup. Um, Dude, what's, what the, what's the deal with laundry soup in these movies? It's, it makes no sense. Because the kick line is a little bit more self-evident, but I do think saying that something is too cold and then putting a jacket in it is really funny. Oh, like, that yeah, that is really funny. That is uh, so good. Which I have also always thought, or wondered at the very least, if... His reaction of it being too cold inspired Doc Brown's reaction of the DeLorean being so cold in Back to the Future. Oh, that is interesting. That's actually, that's very interesting. That probably did. While we're on the subject of laundry soup, the look, not because we talked about the chocolate room, but I think that the rest of the factory, the way that the the true, the doohickeys, the contraptions in the factory... All over the all the all the Rube Goldberg machines just like functioning everything, and then also there's just garbage everywhere. I kind of love it. It's way it's way dirtier than than the Johnny Depp one. It's all too clean. I love the Charlie Chaplin gum machine that that makes Violet's gum. I think that is a hilarious (laughs) looking thing. Again, we're gonna talk about Harper Goff during our pop culture reference and just 
every single room of the factory is so interesting and so fun and such a great take on like it all is different but it's all tonally cohesive even the scariest scene in any movie for families ever conceived which is the tunnel boat scene which I I came up to this on the rewatch here, and I was like, it's definitely not as horrific as I remember it. As I was a kid at the time, I'm sure I was scared. Whatever. Mm-hmm. What the what were they thinking? That is upsetting, Garrett Strother. Because you see the centipede crawling on the guy's face, and you're like, sure, you know, that's yeah, you know, yeah. random kids gross stuff, you know, whatever. And then they chop yeah, a chicken's it. head off, and you're like, whoa, never mind, actually. <laughs> They chop a chicken's head off, and then they cut to a wide shot of Gene Wilder just screaming. And I'm like, what is happening? Close-ups of, like, animals eating other animals, a chicken getting its head cut off, and screaming. Oh, my God. And everyone else being like, I'm going to throw up. What is happening? This is horrible. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. I am not usually like, you know, there's the whole Gilligan's Island theory. It's hell and Gilligan is the devil and all this <laughs> stuff. But, but honestly, the only one of those, and I don't really go in for those. I think they're funny, but I go in a little bit on Willy Wonka is the is devil the and devil. he's punishing these children for their <laughs> sins. Oh my God. Yeah, he really is. He's like, he is something else. He, he can control time and space. He is vengeful, very specifically. It's greed, it's a lot. It's greed. gluttony, sloth. I'm just saying these are these and things are personified by children. That is very true. He has minions that do his bidding. Allah take the children to the dungeon to to do away with them. Like it's very, it's a lot. He's also like. He's needlessly cruel sometimes. Like I think that's another great thing about him is not only do you have the like. Stop! No, no. Like you <laughs> have things like bit. that. Love that. But the when he grabs Mrs. TV's purse with Mike in it, and he like swings it around. <laughs> yeah, he's it's, it's insane. Uh, he is he is uh he's a punishing demon. He really is. I would love to know what the apprenticeship with Charlie is like after that. He's like, all right, here's how you make people contemplate their own morality in the chocolate factory. It's like, why is that important for chocolate, Willie? And he's like, just don't worry about it. He's like, that's what makes the that's what makes it taste so good. It's the sin. It's the sin of <laughs> the chocolate. You want to know what makes the scrum diddlyumptious bar so good? It's the screams of the children I put in the chocolate tube. <laughs> Dude, he is so all of those all of those on-screen child deaths that happen in this movie they really really messed me up as a kid too. I will say that. Once we we get to the the movie starts when they finally get to the chocolate room and then everything after that was little kid Seamus being like so we just never see them again. Oh, it might go to the furnace. It might be off today. She's got a 50-50 shot. I'm like, wow, this is horrible. Well, good at the God. end, they're all good. He says they're all good. So I believe him because he's never... He, Willy Wonka has not been lying from the very second he comes on screen. <laughs> <laughs> he's not an enigmatic recluse who has not been seen in public in decades, you know? I am obsessed with his dynamic with Mr. Salt. I think that it is so funny. <laughs> Mr. Saul just treats him like a dude, like he's just like another dude, and Wonka matches that energy, but like 
to an insidious degree. <laughs> this is also always coming up to him like, oh, that was a little secret here, Wonka. And then Willy Wonka's like, my secret's the most horrific crap you've ever heard in your life, actually. And I'm going to treat you like a confidant because that's how you're treating me. But I'm actually going to like bring you under the surface for a second and, and traumatize you. Because it starts off with candy's dandy, but liquor is quicker. That's rather innocuous. But sure, then as sure. it slowly builds to even like his conversation about the furnace is so like. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. Oh, so, so good. I think that um, Rory Kinnear is so good in this. He is so funny in this. Who's Mr. Saul? So many of his deliveries have echoed in my head for... Or, I'm sorry, it's not Roy Kinnear. Roy Kinnear is his son who is in James Bond. Um, ah. What is his name? Like, the guy from Men. You know, the guy... That guy. Roy Kinnear is that guy. This guy is named... That's that guy's is, son? Yeah. Whoa, okay. I didn't think you were talking about... Okay. Can you Hell see yeah, it now? Right Do you on. see it in your head? Yeah, definitely. Wow. That's... That's fabulous. I'm sorry, this guy's name is Roy Kinnear. You can see why I was confused by that. Roy and Roy. It's right up there. But yeah, like, we've already come through that. And like, like all this, like, he's not even really <laughs> yeah, enunciating. Yeah. He's just kind of making noise. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so, it's, it's, the adults are maybe better than the kids in a lot of, in almost every one of these scenes. They're in the real world, man. They gotta be in the Wonka world, and then they'll understand. But they're also stupider than their children most of the time. Every single thing that Mrs. TV says is wrong. That's <laughs> She's a teacher that doesn't know anything. I remember there being more Mike TV. I remember there being way more Mike TV. He's, like, in the background for almost everything until his death scene. <laughs> his death scene? I love... Okay, which is the most traumatizing TV show? You're talking about your traumatic experience with the deaths in this. <laughs> out of all of them yeah i gotta say it's augustus gloop because as a kid i was like you know i'm going for the river first i'm <laughs> sticking my head under the river and i'm gonna get sucked into the tube where i will suffocate off screen and then they'll dispose of my body they'll turn it into chocolate i think mrs gloop is weirdly like the sanest adult in this movie, including Grandpa Joe. Um, <laughs> Grandpa Joe, uh, I know we already kind of did this already, well, but well, but there are he has. We can separate the the, jo- the meme, the, the meme, but like he's a bad influence. He's a bad influence. He, he should again. I think it's really well written and really well delivered by Joe Albertson, who's a great actor. He, after all, is the one who sends all the letters to the courthouse in Miracle on 34th Street, so we owe him that. That's the same He's guy? He's the letter sorting guy, yeah. That's the best. Oh, um, dude. Oh, wait, we need to watch that. I think it's a really good nuance of when he's outside the factory, all of his kind of bad influences on Charlie are just trying to give Charlie a little bit of happiness. Like, he doesn't care if Charlie stole the bread because, you know, Charlie yeah, deserves to have some bread. Yeah. And he builds up Charlie's hopes because Charlie has to have something to hope for, even if it's not the most maybe healthy thing for him to do. He gives up his, I think it's a good thing that he gives up his tobacco. I think that like, that's another testament to that character. And then like the slippery slope of he forgot that he's in Dante's Inferno. And so now that they're in the factory, (laughs) it's like that, that is going to kill. He's going to kill his grandson on accident because they're going to get chopped up. Cause he's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to scheme Charlie for the, Do do it for the TikTok. Charlie, we gotta drink this fizzy lifting drink. I was gonna say, did you not just see what happened to Violet Beauregard? Do not steal the fizzy lifting drinks. Like, it's like, oh my god. There's songs. It's easy to remember the songs with maybe the best overlay 
word graphics <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And you're going to forget that, Grandpa Joe? Do you think they see the schoolhouse rock graphics come up in real life? I, I've i thought about this, actually, and I think they do. I think <laughs> if, they, if they do the things that they do in the other parts of this factory, I think there's some... They're, like, locked into place somehow, and they see the view of those words come at them. Have you read Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator? I haven't read any of them, actually. I don't think I've ever read a Roald Dahl book. Um, well... A lot of them are improved by their film adaptations. I'll say that. I like. I like. Yeah, okay, okay. Matilda's good. Whatever. Um, but this is not a Roald Dahl conversation, even though maybe it should be. But I just don't want to touch well, all that. That's so, not. That's yeah. not for right now, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, not it's, now. we're not. Not right now. This is better than the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. But I do think Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator is a really trippy, fun time because they go to space in the Great Glass Elevator. Just see so you. Know. Yeah, that's what um, I hear. That's I don't know anything about it besides they go to space, and that's it, that's crazy. It's it the Zathura up, to the Jumanji of <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It picks up immediately after the end of the book. They go up in the Great Glass Elevator, and they keep going. That's where it begins. He's like, I promise you a brand new life, Charlie. And then the <laughs> book ends and then the next one starts and it's like, but first we have to go <laughs> to, space. to space and, and fight Xenu and do that. Well, all, they all they that fight stuff. for Mishis Knits. What? Oh my God. That's okay. Actually, maybe balling. I don't, I don't know if that's balling, <laughs> but that sounds great. should read Charlie and the Great Glass <laughs> It is good. It is a good book. It captured I, I, my imagination very vividly when I was a kid. I should maybe actually read that before Timmy Chalamet does the trilogy of the the prequel, and then he, he'll he do the Willy Wonka remake, and then he'll do Great Glass Elevator. Well, that's the thing. I really... Okay, talking about the Oompa Loompas, I think that something I was thinking about a lot like in the back of my head during this watch was... I love the backstory they give, all of the espionage with the Wonka factory, mm. and clearly shutting down to go to Loompa Land to get the Oompa Loompas, and then reopening. And I really hope that this new movie doesn't just skip all that and we get to the end of the movie and the Oompa Loompas are already working in the chocolate factory. I don't think they're going to get into all the espionage. Maybe they are. One of the other best parts of the Johnny Depp one is, is seeing the, flash the flashback. Is the of him in Loompa Land? Yeah. I want the whole movie that's young Willy Wonka yes. looking for, like, going all over the world and finding new flavors and encountering the Oompa Loompas and all this stuff. And I want him, because I want to make the Oompa Loompas, like, feel good. I want to make that feel yeah, like they're yeah. not enslaved. And I think this movie does, like, a pretty good job of that. Definitely a better job than, weirdly a better job than the Tim Burton one does. I think so, too. I think that I've never had too much of a problem with that. Like, ever since the beginning of, like, he saved them. This is, like, they are happy to be in a place that isn't filled with vicious monsters. And I'm like, you know what? That clocks. They're, they're fantasy-type beings that have the power to make words appear when they sing. And they're, they're from a place where there are things that will kill them for real. So I do also hope we get to see, like, the actual... I know Willy Wonka sitting down with like the Oompa Loompa tribal leaders to be like, <laughs> I can help you, please. Uh, so anyway, I, I just really hope that that's not something that's glossed over too much. In yeah, same here. One. It's one of those little details that feels grimy and not real, but it makes the world feel more fleshed out and more consistent. The grit of the 70s infected this movie. It did. And that's why it's so good. Dude, again. My blind child eyes couldn't see why that was actually kind of the best way to do this kind of story. And it, it really is. I, I, It is so good. I also really need Willy Wonka to continue 
wildly, like, not misquoting, because he's always quoting them correctly, but I need him to quote great poets and great literature completely out of context in in wildly mismatched situations, because I think that's one of the greatest running bits in this whole movie. Obviously, we are the music makers, we are the dreamers of dreams. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. It's such a great delivery, it feels so, like, whimsical and hopeful, while he's squishing Veruca Salt's little face <laughs> right after talking about the snot. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that's that's great. Or what, what was the other thing he does? He does it twice, I think. It's uh, so little to see in so much time. Scratch, Scratch that. that reverse, reverse it. it. I thought I wanted, I, I very much enjoyed that. Or strike too that. too fast. Strike, strike that. that. Reverse it. Reverse he scratched it, that in the new Timmy Chalamet trailer, actually. Oh, so, is yeah. Now I'll finally I'll I'll see that Chalamet commercial again with my new fresh view of the old one. I'll finally understand. Like, oh, this is maybe gonna be pretty fun. Or maybe I've been, I've, I've been so skeptical. I don't skeptical. think it's a good trailer. So you know, I keep saying, uh, "You're off, you're rock Wonka." I see that ten times a day, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know how it keeps coming up. If the good lord had intended us to walk, he wouldn't have invented roller skates, Seamus. That's what I have to <laughs> that say. That is also one of the best. It's so good. <laughs> well, I think that we could talk about this movie forever, but I think that is going to wrap us up unless you have final thoughts on Willy Wonka. I'm reignited for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think I can't ever defend the Johnny Depp Tim Burton one ever again because I was always, for the longest time I was like it's okay it's got some fun stuff in it it does have some fun stuff in it but it is nothing compared to this masterpiece so I I'm I think I maybe need to go buy this now I might need to have it on my shelf I, I it, well you just missed your it was like eight dollars on my Friday oh so. dude that's a deal that's a on deal. 4k that was it is a good looking 4k all right well I'm keeping my eyes out now this is this is cinema for real also, uh, Warner Brothers, please bring back and Nestle the Wonka bars from when we were kids. I missed that. I never got to try. In a true Charlie Bucket situation, they had them at Blockbuster, but it was like the most expensive candy bar on the shelf. And I was just like, I can't, I can't afford this. They were basically just crunch bars, but they yeah, were better. But they were better. They were wrapped in the like, damn Wonka wrappers, man. They were so good. They still make everlasting gobstoppers, I think. Anyway. It's all it's about the chocolate. It's about the chocolate. Let's move on to our pop culture reference where you can talk more Willy Wonka. Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're gonna be talking about Harper Goff. Harper Goff began his career working as an uncredited set designer on classics such as Captain Blood, Sergeant York, and Casablanca. When World War II broke out, in addition to creating advertising for the U.S. Army, Goff was recruited to develop camouflage paints and later, for the Navy, disguise ships by expanding on techniques used for dazzle camouflage. Post-war, Goff returned to work at Warner Brothers, but in 1951, he had a chance encounter that would change the trajectory of his life. Goff was an avid model railroader, and, while at a model shop in London, he was interested in purchasing the same train as Walt Disney. Walt and Goff became fast friends, and Walt poached Goff and had him come to work for Walt Disney Studios. In 1954, Goff art directed one of the most iconic projects of his career, with the groundbreaking live-action adaptation of Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The film was a massive success, garnering Academy Awards for color art direction and special effects, both categories in which Goff played a major role. However, Due to the stipulation that only union art directors could win Academy Awards, the Oscar went to his assistant, John Meehan. 
It was around this time that Goff's attention was diverted from filmmaking, as Walt asked him to develop his latest project, Mickey Mouse Park. Mickey Mouse Park ballooned, of course, into Disneyland, and Goff played a major role in the art design and content of many of the theme park's most iconic attractions, including the Jungle Cruise, Main Street USA, and the Haunted Mansion. In fact, there is still a window in Disneyland's Frontierland bearing Harper Goff's name and offering banjo lessons, a reference to not only his musical pastime, but his involvement in the Disney staff Dixieland band Firehouse 5 Plus 2. Goff was also an Imagineer in several areas of Walt Disney World, including many of the pavilions in the World Showcase at Epcot. Goff's final major project as an art director and concept artist was in the 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He was the lead artist for the iconic designs of Wonka's Chocolate Room, the infamous Long Tunnel, the SS Wonkatania Riverboat, the Wonka Vader, and almost all of the elaborate factory architecture that made it into the final film design. His concept sketches also greatly influenced the costume design of the film, and would also sometimes be used as storyboards to block the shots on set. Goff is often credited as an early example of a steampunk artist, largely due to his work on films like 20,000 Leagues and Fantastic Voyage. Not only do the iconic completed project he worked on continue to entertain people today, but much of his concept art for both films and theme parks are used as major inspirations for contemporary artists. Harper Goff, I think, is an absolutely brilliant figure in, just in entertainment history, I guess, and specifically his work on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, I think is some of the most imaginative, fun, impressive, like tonally perfect design work that's ever been done on, on a movie of that kind. And, of course, as we just finished talking about, his work on Willy Wonka is, is also similarly unparalleled. I have not had the pleasure of seeing 20,000 Leagues or Fantastic Voyage yet. Those are big on my classics lists, but I know that the 20,000 Leagues design is like... I, I've seen that stuff, and I know it when I see it because of his designs. And I'm, like you were just saying, nothing beats the design of... Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, just all the little gadgets, all the little gizmos that we were kind of talking about before in our main segment, so much of that just comes from him sketching things out. You can see so many of his original sketches online now, and it's nearly identical to what they go with on a lot of really crucial, iconic designs that make that movie so, so memorable. Very well said. And I think that we're ready to move on over and save the rec center. Let's save it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly rec amendations. Seamus, what do you got? Very, very recently, I have dived into a, an indie game that I think is specifically for you and me, Garrett Strother. Have you heard about the game Cloudpunk yet? No. It is. It, I mean, it's not new or anything. It's it's uh, from 2020, but it is on PS Plus, and it's basically open world Blade Runner Death Stranding delivery simulator where you just get to fly around a cyberpunk 80s city to a cyberpunk 80s soundtrack, and meet a bunch of wacky guys and get into adventures that involve delivering packages. So, I guess as I say that out loud now, it's more of a video game just specifically for me, maybe. But I, I, the, the vibes alone are so worth jumping in and just kind of exploring 
this pixel art style Blade Runner floating leveled Coruscant style city. It is very good. It's on PS Plus. It looks like it's not too much of a commitment if you've got some bigger story stuff on the side, but I've been having a lot of fun with it since I started playing, and I I feel like I'm barely in, but it is like a very huge kind of open world. You get to walk around or fly around in your Blade Runner hover car thing. It's it's a lot of fun, even if you just want to like walk around and and listen to rain sound effects while there's like synth jazz playing in the background. So I, I very much recommend it to you. I feel like this is the exact game that you've been trying to find for years. Like, I feel like you're always like, man, I wish there were yes. a Blade Runner game where I was That's just, what like, I'm surviving <laughs> and there was jazz. Oh. And... and I got that in the Blade Runner game point-and-click from the 90s that they remastered for PS4. I played that for, like, two weeks straight. But now there's another one, Garrett, and it's newer, and it's funnier, I think. It's less depressing. Well, you've sold me on that. I've got a, I've got a bit of a backlog right now, but I, that's definitely going on the pile because that sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah, yes, dude. I know one day, one day you'll get there. If it ever leaves PS Plus, you won't ever notice. But if it starts to, I will urge you to jump on there just to, just to fly around a little bit. But what do you got to save the rec center this week? Well, I recently rewatched this is this is another Black Friday haul from me, a movie that I had not seen in probably close to 10 years, if not actually 10 years. Ryan Johnson's 2012 sci-fi classic Looper. Ooh, what a picture. Just That's a banger. It is so good. I re- I mean, I I loved it, you know, when I saw it as a teenager, but now I just I understand several things now more than I did then. <laughs> I understand the subtext and the commentary, not that it's particularly subtle, but I understand it certainly better than I did then. But also just the the sheer filmmaking craft on display is very impressive. Uh, you know I'm a big JGL head, love him. The prosthetics, I was a little bit curious about how those were going to age for me. I actually really like them. I think they were. Do, do they hold up a they, little bit? They hold up. Like I, I think they look really good, just in terms of like they look like that looks like that's what his face looks like. I'm not necessarily saying that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is super handsome with them. Sure, on. I, um, I got you. I got you. More impressive than that, I think what really sells the prosthetics is how much Joseph Gordon-Levitt is channeling Bruce Willis's mannerisms. It, that is very impressive to me, and not just Bruce Willis's mannerisms, but like young Bruce Willis's mannerisms, like Die Hard era. <laughs> Bruce Willis, great performances from Emily Blunt, Bruce Willis, of course, Garrett Dillahunt, Paul Dano, Jeff Daniels, but the person who I did not really remember being in the movie, probably because I didn't know who they were at the time, and who really blew me away on this viewing was Noah Segan, who is Ryan Johnson's longtime collaborator, and usually a pretty funny guy, not that he doesn't get to be funny in Looper, but it's a much more interesting performance that I think he usually gets to turn in and he was one of my favorite parts of the movie rewatching it this time I have not seen this movie since we what do you say it came out in 2012 2012 so it would have been for my 14th birthday I think I went to see this at the theater with my friends absolutely blew me out of the water and then I famously promptly walked outside the theater and spoiled the ending for the first man that was on the street and he turned around 
to 14-year-old Seamus, and in 14-year-old Seamus's face, screamed, You ruined it! And I felt so bad. To this day, I wish I could find that man and apologize. I was too young. I didn't. I was so hyped up for how crazy and good that movie was that I didn't even understand that I needed to hold it in from the walk to for, between the Evanston AMC to the parking structure across the street. And I, I, oh, I still feel bad about it. But that movie is so good that I would do it twice, man. That movie is an absolute beggar. And my first Ryan Johnson movie, which didn't mean anything to me at the time, but looking back, that's like, that's a pretty great start for old Ryan Johnson, I will say. I mean, it's definitely the movie that catapulted him into mainstream awareness. I would say it's probably oh, the yeah. movie that got him Star Wars. Like you said, it's a banger. It's such a good movie. That was an era... When did Inception come out? Because that, in my mind, growing up, those movies yeah. were pretty linked together. Um, I believe Inception also came out... Uh, no, Inception came out in 2010. So, so yeah, that, that those were a couple early uh, mind mess around kind of movies that that i was like oh this is what a movie is it should make me feel crazy leaving the theater yeah and i mean that's another one of like it's better to not know anything about it when you go in and so that you you'll notice oh, yeah. i did not i've not been talking very plot specific stuff at all i've not really been talking about any plot stuff so i it would be a, a such a joy to watch like if somebody's never even heard of looper to put that on for them that would be such a pleasure i like I said, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. I think it's time for a revisit, because that movie is incredible, from what I remember. And also, tonally, not dissimilar from the thing that you're describing, probably. So that's an interesting little one-two punch Oh, yeah, there. there you go. Right on, right on. Good stuff. Well, that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, press zero for information. That's a Willy Wonka joke. Um, <laughs> next week, in fact, we will be covering Timothy Chalamet's, Paul King's, Hugh Grant's, <laughs> Sally Hawkins's, uh, <laughs> Wonka. Oh, there we go. Very excited uh, to find out if I like that movie or not, uh, I'm re- really, really hopeful. You know how I, you know what a Paddington head I am, Seamus. And you have very recently indoctrinated me into that world, and so all of my skepticism is starting to wane as I, as I, you know, have more Paddington in my life. I'm always going to be skeptical about something like that, but I have never been more excited to give it a shot after this revisit. I completely agree, and I'm excited to find out with you next week. We are the music makers. We are the adios of amigos. 